This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. You've heard these messages from Connecticut Governor Ned Lamont. Connecticut is on the rebound. Businesses are moving to our state, and with them come new jobs. Yet Connecticut's workforce has contracted 8% from pre-pandemic levels in February of 2020. What programs and policies are needed to encourage investment to help Connecticut businesses launch and grow? This is where angel investors, debt financiers, and venture capitalists come in. Today, where we live, we focus on women-led funds and learn whether they're investing in Connecticut companies. Now, women-funded ventures, women-founded ventures, rather, in the U.S. raised $25 billion in venture capital in the first half of 2021. That might seem like a lot, but it's just 2.7% of the total venture capital funding pie. And across America, just 34 black female founders raised $1 million in venture capital for their companies in 2018. Last year, that number shot up to 93 black women, according to Project Diane. Joining us now is a black woman founder of Realist Ventures, a Connecticut-based venture capital firm that funds women-founded minority businesses. You can also join our conversation, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Share a comment on our Facebook page and find us on Twitter at Where We Live. Marie Roca, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I mentioned your founder, also general partner of Realist Ventures. So again, a, a venture capital firm in our state investing in startups at the development seed and, and early stages. So uh, tell us when you launched Realist in 2018, You know what was the catalyst? For me, um, I had been working in this space and I've, I moved to Connecticut 11 years ago and embedded myself in the tech startup community as much as I could, but I wasn't seeing a lot of progress, especially um, at the check writing level, as well as um, funding for startups. And my partner and I, we talked about it for months and essentially decided to throw our hands, I mean, throw our hats um, in the uh, the space and have been really grateful for some of the opportunities to collaborate and just help with the ecosystem as much as possible. So describe the ecosystem in Connecticut. I alluded to, you know, we hear from policymakers that things are looking great, but you're the one, uh, you and your partner and others that are in this space, uh, looking for investors, looking to help businesses launch. And so how would you describe Connecticut's ecosystem? It's interesting. Um, I think for us, we've been really focused on women founders primarily just because um, I think, you know, when you look at the numbers, it just it remains the same. I think four, three or four years ago, we started talking about the Me Too movement, the lack of funding for women. Um, sadly, the numbers remain the same. It's still at two point, you know, less than three percent. Um, black founders tend to get a lot less. In fact, it's pretty sad that black founders and um, founders of color get less than one percent of funding that goes to venture so in connecticut i think it's just it, it mirrors the rest of the country um what we've done is you know we've partnered with as many people as we can um i started an incubator with haven and darianne to try to help move the needle a little bit um we've hosts female only um pitch competitions to try to also help get more exposure but in general i think it's pretty siloed everyone's sort of doing their own thing and trying to really figure out what the right formula is um, but i think there are a lot of opportunities here so hopefully in time uh, we'll see some growth 
I want to talk more with you in just a little bit about the networking and Haven. But when we think about, uh, as you mentioned, few women in venture capital, fewer women of color. So how did you get the math to work with your venture capital firm? And has it been difficult raising funds from high net worth investors? Absolutely. Um, for for us, my partner and I, we we had started out with investing. Just actually, we we thought no one would invest with us, so we just pull our resources together and started our fund. Um, later, a few um, male founder uh, investors came on board. Unfortunately, they were just not the right match, and that's the difficulty for women. We can't just take you know funding from LPs who are limited partners who um, are investors in funds who would normally um, just invest because some of them have sort of like baggage that we have to overcome like domestic violence and etc. So it's been more difficult I think for women or at least for me to fundraise because I do want to retain the integrity um, and, and I want to work with partners and investors who really want to fund underrepresented founders and our net you know our portfolio we focus on under networked um you know black brown um white women i mean we kind of have a very diverse portfolio where 68 percent of our fund i mean i'm sorry portfolio identify as marginalized group but the problem with that is it's much harder to raise money more and more limited partners are not as interested i think they're coming around but certainly not from connecticut i mean it's hard to even book a meeting um, with um, high net worth individuals here because um, I don't either certainly not looking for you know fun like ours who are really trying to work at this level and so you mentioned that challenge so how do you work around it is it through this this co-working venture that you launched and others just like trying to get a more robust network to to help uh, women founded companies um, yes, that's one way. The other, um, I do partner quite a bit with uh, people outside of Connecticut. Um, we have partners from Oklahoma and California, New York, where we're working on some projects to really um, primarily actually help with Connecticut. I'm creating a lab, which we hope to attract more founders who will be interested um, in starting a startup but lacking the capital or the technical uh, resources. So um, my partner and I, we were focusing on raising money for that too, in addition to our fund. This way, we'll be able to kind of like show more um, progress in terms of how the, the investors should look at this asset class and the lab will include marketing um, technical found I'm sorry technical teams to help build um, projects and startups for founders who are non-technical um, Wendy uh, who is on this call will later tell you that's one of the um, issues we ran into with our incubator where we had amazing women but did not have the resources to help them take their projects to the next level um, by you know uh, hiring a development team. And so that's one of the issues we've identified and we work, we think we have a plan to work and fix to fix some of that. Um, so that's one way. The other is through the, our network. We've, we've built, a, I think, a fairly supportive network. I have um, a lot of support from, you know, CI who've been really helping to figure some of that out. And um, Christine Sullivan, who's with the um, SBA and she's amazing at helping us coordinate as well. So we've been just partnering with as many people as we can to hopefully make some progress. You mentioned CI, are you, are you referencing Connecticut Innovations, the state's venture capital fund? 
Thank you. Yes, correct. <laughs> and you're hearing Marie Roca here on Where We Live, founder and general partner of Realist Ventures, as we learn about uh, women venture capital firms in our state helping to launch uh, women-founded companies and others. You can join us if you have a question, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, before I hear from uh, one of uh, the women-founded companies that uh, your venture capital firm has helped, tell us about what it's been like, uh, you know, what kind, you know, how much money or how much have you been able to raise to date? What have been your returns and the companies that you're looking at? Um, so we primarily invest in biotech and software companies. Um, we are um, industry agnostic. So as long as it's tech enabled, we're usually very interested with, you know, obviously high growth and potential to be billion dollar companies. Um, so far, we've raised um, six million dollars for our first fund deployed all of it. We're raising our second fund now um, at 25 million. We have um, a lot of great interests. Um, I hope <laughs> they'll stick around. And, um, and our returns have been actually pretty impressive. Most of our founders have gone on to raise um, after our, our initial seed. So we invest at the very early stages. Um, we've invested three and a half million dollars in um, a company based in Connecticut, Valisher. Um, they've been responsible for some of the recalls re with regards to sunscreen and most recently hand sanitizers. So um, we do have some great traction. It's just, I think overall, it's still hard, right? It's a woman and a black woman of color. I certainly don't have the, some of the networks some of my peers have um, in terms of high net worth individuals and you know um, foundation and so on. But we are, I think I remain very positive because it's harder to fundraise, but it's more exciting when I get a yes. So that's kind of like what's been driving. But separately, women like Wendy and many of the women that were part of our cohort um, for the incubator with Haven have sort of like reignited my passion around this, I think. Uh, when you meet brilliant people who are working on great ideas and lack the opportunities to, or the network to raise money, it just kind of like helped me to sort of refocus and trying to come up with solution and models that will benefit those people. I think that's part of the problem. VC right now, venture capital right now, um, you know, their their pattern matching is very different than what I hope to model after, but it it eliminates a lot of the brilliant people that could really um, contribute to society in general. And then separate from that is the lack of tech support. So um, we have invested in companies that are very much around um, building um, skill building. One of our companies, Career Karma, they raised a series A last year. We also invested early on. Um, they're, 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 they're their startup is really focused around um, reskilling Americans at into the workforce into tax so we're trying to do make these strategic investments to kind of help our portfolio as well as help eventually help founders as well along the line you mentioned wendy ward she's founder and ceo of futures thrive and you helped her through your women-focused co-working venture called haven and darien uh, wendy ward welcome to our show thank you thank you for having me so I mentioned Futures Thrive. Uh, tell us about uh, your company and, you know, how Haven was able to help you. So um, Haven is a working space in uh, Norwalk, Connecticut, and it's actually just been such a partner along the way in the entire journey in um, a pitch competition and then later the incubator, great place 
Um, for me to go, I was an in, individual in working out of my house, trying to come up with a new solution for youth mental health screening, um, you know, early assessment like we do for every other health condition as far as hearing and vision and um, blood pressure. Uh, we have all of those screenings for kids. We don't have mental health screening for kids. So to that end, um, I spent a lot of time working and on the phone and Haven was just a great place for me to go and really expand my network. You mentioned uh, a little bit of the the context behind Futures Thrive, and so you know part of getting investors interested in your business is having a great story, and you had that personal connection, Wendy. But then taking it to the next level and finding uh, the capital, can you can you walk us through the difficulties of that? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I have to piggyback on what Marie said in the sense that while it's harder to raise money, it's so much more thrilling um, when you when you get that win especially working on uh, um, a, a socially positive work. So 10 years ago, my husband and I suffered the consequences of a child with an undiagnosed mental health condition. And that thrust me personally into learning everything I needed to know about mental health. And then that sort of expanded out in my world. I'm an active participant in my community and people started to see that I had this knowledge base. So it grew and grew until uh, until the day when I realized I, I, what I know, everyone should know. And so we launched Futures Drive, and I think the compelling nature of the work is that, especially where 80% of women make the healthcare choices for their family, and you look at, well, women aren't running healthcare companies, and then, of course, the statistics on women raising money, let alone for tech and healthcare companies, it was like, could I set myself up for a bigger mountain? Um, but the compelling part of the work is that um, this this um, screener that we're creating, which is a 21st century screener for kids, it's in a gamified web-based platform, comes from a place of reality. Um, and I think that's how a lot of women work. They work from how would this need be solved? How, how could this solve the need in my household? And then the reality is that that it can... can um, can spread out and can web out to many, many households. So the work has been, um, it's, I've never worked harder in my career and I've never loved my job more. Mm. Uh, you mentioned incubators. Uh, Marie, talk about the role of incubators because we know, you know so many new businesses fail. And so when, when uh, a new venture is involved in an incubator, helping them stay focused, providing them mentorship as well as you know, getting them connected to the, to the right investors. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's very, very important for over or historically overlooked founders to have that kind of network and support. Um, I, even myself, there are moments where I've wanted to quit the space just because it's again, it's really difficult to fundraise and the frustration of not seeing more progress, especially as a woman. Um, and so the incubators have been tremendous. And I think in our Wendy and I, we would have probably never met if she she pitched for Hatch, which is another um, program I co-founded with um, Haven two years ago. And I was frustrated that she hadn't made more progress in terms of investment and et cetera. And then at that time, I was not fundraising and I was considering some other models um, to really support founders. And ultimately, I, you know, this year decided to start fundraising again, just because I felt like I built enough traction <laughs> and while it can be scary and frustrating, it was important to stay, uh, to keep, 
to stay involved and also really test out theories and um, opportunities to help people. So incubators are wonderful. Um, you know, women especially haven't had such uh, historical opportunities in, um, in the space. So I always encourage other women. I'm like one of those people who will, unfortunately, my kids will joke that even at, you know, the supermarket, I'm constantly trying to convince a woman to start a business. Um, but that's because I think that the more uh, women who get into this space, the more opportunities we'll have women who who can invest in other women and because that's part of the problem most of the check writers are white men which is fine but unfortunately they tend to you know back other white men but if we get more women in the space especially women of color we can certainly increase the numbers um, of founders and i do think that in general i mean the data is there women of color or rather historically underrepresented and overlooked founders tend to produce um, better results. And I see that in my own portfolio um, where there are founders who most people didn't really think would succeed and they have exceeded expectations. They're now raising series Bs. And I think that that's what we want to see more, but the incubators and accelerators are essential for that. Although those models I think can be tweaked a little bit, but um, definitely um, encourage more and more people to support those. Wendy Ward, did you want to add to that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think what's also important about the incubator model is that it just gives you education and support, A, that you're not alone. Um, as a founder, it's nice to know that you have you can talk with people who are at the same time in um, company building as you, certainly a startup in Connecticut. But also, um, it, it fills in gaps. I mean, as a founder, I come to the table with a lot of really positive um, attributes, but there are definitely things I, that I don't know. And as a woman, I'm willing to say I don't know what I don't know. And the incubator really was able to educate in areas where it just ele overall elevates the work. Can you tell me a little bit more about uh, the difficulty and how much money did you have to have to launch your company, Wendy? So... So um, we are looking at $350,000 to raise to have a product in market this year. Um, and, and we've scaled that in a number of different ways, but uh, we've put together a really lean and mean model. We've raised $160,000. We have um, with that a prototype design and we've begun development for the overall um, minimally viable product. You know, we're still in the process of raising and and it's very encouraging. The state of Connecticut does, as Marie said, have a really great ecosystem. The small business development um, program is I, I've just been able to take advantage of so many assets of the state of Connecticut when it comes to doing my work that I I'm really proud to be a nutmegger. Well, it's good to hear uh, about your uh, business, Wendy Ward, founder and CEO of Futures Thrive. Uh, we're Futures Thrive, rather, a web-based app and metrics to diagnose mental health conditions in children uh, during uh, well visits. And Marie Roca, thank you for joining us, founder and general partner of Realist Ventures, a Connecticut-based venture capital that invests in startups. We're going to continue talking after the break, hear from more women led in, that lead investment groups, and we'll take your questions, too. You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today we're talking about women-owned startups, incubators, and women-led investing groups. According to PitchBook, New York and San Francisco are the leading metro areas for female-founded companies. So what needs to change to help our state become a stronger place for women-led companies and investors? Joining us now on Zoom is Liddy Carter, managing partner of Mizzen Capital, a women-owned credit fund. Liddy, welcome to our show. Thank you so much, Lucy. It's a pleasure to meet you. So I mentioned you're a private credit fund. So for listeners, describe how you help entrepreneurs and what kind of businesses. We invest in, in companies that are have under $100 million in, in revenues and probably more than $5 million. So just beyond what Wendy is doing, um, when a company has had their Series A, for instance, and they have a product and they have customers, but they need to grow. We help with the growth. And that's so important because, frankly, the dollars are larger and it's hard to attract that capital before you have a long track record of success. If you're a company with several hundred million in revenues, there are a lot of people ready to step up. But the smaller companies still have a challenge. And that's particularly true of, of, of women and minority owned businesses. We invest in companies that we think will be most successful, regardless of who owns them. But as it turns out, that because we are a 100% women-owned fund, we tend to see, and minority-owned, we, we, we tend to see more companies that are women and minority-owned because of our networks. And that's just the way our part of the market works, in the same way that if we were 100% white male, founded and owned, we probably see more of those companies. So it's not surprising that my last funds had 22% women and minority owned companies as companies in which we'd invested, all in Connecticut, by the way. We invested in, in Greenworks Lending, run by Ali Cooley, who we're gonna have talked to later. Cat uh, Berkey Inc, run by Cat Berkey. It's a, it's a women's cosmetics company or skincare company. Hen Globe Lighting. We've run by Marsha Lefemina. And um, we recently invested in State Pineapple Hotels run by Michelle Barnett. That's actually in New York. These are all companies that are growing, that have women founders that we identified with strongly and, and the companies have done really well. But the reason I, I actually mention the names is that I often hear from my fellow fund investors that they simply can't find women-owned companies. And... And I just think if they're looking in the wrong places. There are a lot, 
40% of our market is of companies, 350,000 companies in the U.S. designated as the lower middle market, under 100 million in revenues. 40% of those are owned by women and minorities. There's got to be a few of them that are investable. Right. Now, I understand formerly you were CFO of NetKey, where you raised $15 million in institutional venture capital. When we started the show, we talked about um, how um, a lot of the VC funding uh, really, um, there's not much, um, when you think about the whole percentage that um, went to women-owned or women-founded firms. So can you talk about, you know, how you encounter gender-based challenges when raising funds and, you know, how that's changed, if at all? Sure. You know, and I'll say it's it's a it's a bit of a it's an inscrutable process. Fundraising is just hard. It doesn't matter who you are. It's a hard process. My very first company was a company called Resource Recovery Systems, recycling bottles, cans, paper, and plastics, located in Essex, Connecticut. And I was the CEO, and I had a, an impossible time raising capital. But I did go to banks, and and banks ended up financing us because we had plenty of collateral not because anyone believed that we were going to grow a great business, which we did. Um, so it wasn't venture capital that we, that we landed at the time. The next company, which was NetKey, I was CFO of, and we also had a hard time. However, one day, Marilyn Adler, who is my current partner at Mizzen Capital, 20 years later, we became financing partners. But at that point, she was instrumental in leading the the round, the first venture capital round. And I, I think if she hadn't gotten over the fact that I had my son's tricycle in the corner of my office and understood that I was pretty ambitious and was going to make it successful along with the team, we wouldn't have gotten that funding. We had been talking to dozens of VCs and suddenly a woman walked in and she was unusual. There, weren't, there aren't many women in venture capital and in 1998, there were even fewer. So um, that made all the difference for me. We stayed friends, and here we are, years later, investing together. And and while we don't invest with a gender lens or a racial lens or an ethnic lens, we love women-owned and minority-owned businesses because they tend to be slightly overlooked, and they uh, consequently maybe work a little harder. Any woman or minority that succeeds as a company founder and developer is an outlier, <laughs> and you want to invest in those outliers. Because they're the people typically the most ambitious. You're hearing Liddy Carter, managing partner of Mizzen Capital, a women-owned credit fund, as we talk about uh, what the ecosystem looks like here in our state. You can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Katie's calling in from Willimantic with a question. Katie, go ahead. Hi, women. I am so grateful and excited to be a part of this conversation. And I am actually in the very early stages of founding We Hear Her, which is going uh, to serve women's mental health and wellness, um, specifically from a telehealth platform. And I am looking to focus on underserved communities of women and uh, women in the fertility, pre, peri, and postpartum period of life. <laughs> Lots of alliteration there. So my question is, how do I reach out and connect with um, this incubator that uh, you were referring to earlier, Wendy, um, and discussing with Maria. 
So we were talking uh, to Marie Roca, and she'd helped uh, with the Venture ha uh, Haven in Darien. So we can get that information to you. Um, I'll just make sure the call screener writes down your phone number. But Liddy, did you want to respond to the other uh, points that she made about um, you know the venture sure. that she's hoping to launch? Sure. I think there are, fortunately for for everyone, there are a lot of incubators today, and, and Maria's is, is one great one. Another few that to, to think about, one is called Golden Seeds. It invests just in women-owned companies, women-owned and managed companies. And another that's recently launched in Connecticut is called Tidal River. And uh, Allison Malloy is, is involved in that, and you can reach her at Connecticut Innovations. Um, and they've, they're focusing on women-led uh, companies just in Connecticut. So those are two really great resources for growing. And then there's the National, uh, the National Women's uh, Development Center, uh, Women's Development Center in Stamford, Connecticut. Very effective organization to help you build your business plan um, and and get to a point where venture is is able to step in. So, Liddy, getting back to Mizzen Capital, um, how much has Mizzen invested so far? And, and you know, again, how many Connecticut companies are we talking about? We have we're a new a new uh, platform. We we recently a new fund. We recently launched in December of 2020. My last funds uh, were also here in Connecticut, and um, we invested about a hundred million dollars in in this iteration in Mizzen Capital, um, I'm pleased to say that we, we have uh, invested about $90 million in nine months. And of those, unfortunately, only one is a Connecticut company, but it is a great company founded by Al Sabloy. It's called Butterfly, and they work on energy um, efficiency as a service. And we think that one of our investment premises is that we invest in sustainable, socially responsible businesses that will generate the highest return for our investors. And, and that certainly is one that we believe will be a, a home run. And it's, it's great to see guys like Al, I think he's on his third or fourth business here in Connecticut, growing a really effective uh, new business because he's an expert on building uh, successful companies. I wanted to bring into the conversation a woman that uh, Liddy invested previously in Connecticut. Uh, Alexander Cooley is chief investment officer and co-founder of Greenworks Lending, which was bought by Nuveen uh, this, earlier this year. Alexander, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. So I mentioned Greenworks Lending, uh, but you previously, I believe, worked at um, the Connecticut Green Bank. And so how did that experience help you launch Greenworks? Yeah, great question. So in 2012, um, I was coming out of business school at Yale, and I really wanted to um, do something in my career that was going to have an impact in climate change. I had this realization when I was out of college that I'm going to be spending 50% of my waking hours at work, and I really wanted that to have a significant impact on, on climate change. So when coming out of business school, um, the opportunity to join this kind of new Essentially, it's a state agency in Connecticut that Governor Malloy had set up to create innovative structures um, to bring private capital into the state, really with the goal of um, funding more clean energy upgrades in the state of Connecticut. I was really excited about that opportunity. 
And my first day there, I actually met my now co-founder, Jessica Bailey. Um, and her, her background was that she had spent about a decade prior um, at a nonprofit passing something called property assessed clean energy policy nationwide and had come to the Green Bank to really see if she could get a program going um, here in Connecticut. And when I learned about CPACE from her, a, a light bulb really went off and I saw that it could be a really exciting business. And, and the reason is that the U.S. commercial real estate market is about a $16 trillion market. Um, and it accounts for roughly 20 to 30 percent of the carbon emissions here in the state. But the average commercial building in the U.S. is over 50 years old, and about 80% of these properties don't have great access to financing. And that's really important because when you think about clean energy upgrades, um, you're, you're asking people to invest a fair bit of money up front for small but durable energy savings over time. And if you're a commercial building owner, that's not typically a bet you want to make. Typically, you're looking at a payback cycle of, of five years maximum. And if you're looking at a 10, 15 year payback measure, that's not going to make the cut. And so it's really a problem that financing solves. But the problem with the commercial real estate market is that it's so diverse. So if you think about what commercial real estate is, it's everything from a Ford dealership in Connecticut that's been owned by the same family for decades to a high rise 23 story midtown office building in New York to kind of a garden style 50 unit apartment building in outside of D.C. By the way, all of those are deals that we finance, but Prior to CPACE, there was really no standardization. And for me, it was really exciting to find a tool that created that standardization. So um, going back to the Green Bank, we essentially figured out um, what this product needed to look like at the Green Bank, really supported by the state. And then in, um, in 2015, we kind of looked at each other and said, OK, we figured out that there is a market that people want this financing. And then the other side of that was figuring out who wants these loans. and. We took the bet that there was going to be um, a lot of excitement, um, especially from places like insurance companies and pension funds, if we got enough volume. Um, and that bet paid off. So um, along the way, we had a lot of help from um, investors like Liddy. Um, and we were able to aggregate a portfolio of these assets and go out and do the first ever securitization of this type of asset class, commercial property assessed clean energy, which really unlocked the market. Um, and so since we did that in 2017, there's been about a billion dollars of this product created. Um, hundreds of properties have been upgraded um, and we've been able to grow the company. So we're now um, almost 70 people with about 40% of us based here in Connecticut. Well, that's great. And you told me I can call you Allie. Uh, again, yeah. Allie Cooley, Chief Investment Officer and co-founder of Greenworks uh, Lending. You know, I asked our other guests and I wanted to ask you, you know, as a woman co-founder, you know, what were some of the gender specific challenges in attracting capital did you face as we talk about a male dominated VC world? It's a really great question. And I would echo what Liddy said, which is that raising money is, is, is hard no matter who you are. Um, and when we started, we were raising money for not only a new company, not only a new product, but really a new industry. And so investors had to consider not just if they were backing the right team, but if it was the right time, if it's the right market. 
And we really, so it's really hard to separate that experience as two women um, found in this company from operating in a brand new sector. Um, but that being said, you know, we do operate at the nexus between commercial real estate and structured finance. So um, investors weren't necessarily used to seeing many opportunities originated by women, um, goes without saying. And I will say that we did once have an investor ask if we were going to use their money to redecorate our offices, which Needless to say, we, we didn't end up selecting them as investors. We were lucky to have um, many options when we went to raise money. And what's interesting is when I look back at, at that experience raising money and I look at who ended up giving us money, um, to echo what Marie said, it's really striking. Over 70% of the money we raised came from women-managed funds. And since 2015, um, up until we were purchased by Nuveen in April, we raised over a billion dollars of equity and debt. 70% of that came from women-managed funds. And I think that that's really striking when you think about the level of um, female representation in fund managers. You mentioned the 2.5% of women that manage VC funds. It's about 14% in the, in the debt space. So it's a really, really striking number. Uh, you know, we were um, talking about, you know, what some of the other challenges are in operating a business out of Connecticut. Sometimes it's even just starting with the confidence uh, to, to to just launch and, and get involved in these networking groups. Uh, Amy tweeted that this is a timely topic for her. She's been itching to start up a business, paralyzed by indecision, overwhelmed by fear, not sure what I need to push me in the right direction. So do you have, have advice for her? And I'll ask Lydia the same. <laughs> Go ahead, Allie. Um, you know, it's funny. First of all, I would say if you feel passionately about something, you should do it. Just do it because your um, conviction will get you there to Liddy's point. Um, and I think it like it it touches on something else. And I, I think when we talk about all these numbers, the fact that Marie's LPs are mostly women as well. Um, the fact that Liddy sees so many of her companies um, be women owned and run. I think there's actually something subtle here because, um, you know, in looking at a lot of studies around imposter syndrome, there's so many studies, study after study shows that the majority of women in the workplace are affected by what's called imposter syndrome, which is that you don't feel like you deserve to be where you are. Um, I think at one study even showed 85% of women in the workplace suffer from this. And I think if you're someone that's gone through that and gotten to the other side, you see some of the behaviors as proof that the entrepreneur in front of you is really passionate about her cause um, and it's hugely important to her. But if you haven't ever experienced that, it's really easy to interpret the nervousness as a lack of confidence. And so what I would say to this caller is, you know, if you have conviction on something, you know, the nervousness is a signal that it's important to you. Um, and I would I would push through and, and take the plunge. And uh, Liddy Carter, you have um, some last words uh, for this person who tweeted at us. Yes, I, 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 I think just do it is exactly what Ali's saying. I reiterate that because, because it's easy to not do it. And the downside of of not doing it is so much greater than the downside of doing it. If you do it and it doesn't work out, you'll learn a lot and, and you'll get a lot of support in, in the process to just do it. That's Liddy Carter, managing partner of Mizzen Capital. And you also heard from Alexandra Ali Coley, C, chief investment officer and co-founder of Greenworks Lending, which was bought by Nuveen. Thank you both for joining us today. Thanks. Thank you.
Bye-bye. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. Coming up, we hear from a woman who uh, leads a group involved in a group that invests money in startup companies. Do you have questions about angel investors? Join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. Now we've been hearing from and learning about women venture capitalists. We heard from women private investors. Angel investors help startup businesses. Joining us now is Marianne Rook. She's on Zoom with us, president and managing director of the Angel Investor Forum. Marianne, welcome to the show. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So tell us about the Angel Investor Forum and how many of your members are women investors? Well, very good question. Uh, we are working on increasing our women um, members. Um, uh, Angel Investor Forum uh, was founded in 2004, and um, we have Liddy Carter on uh, that you've just heard from, and she was one of the co-founders back in 2004. So Liddy's been driving uh, investments uh, in startup companies for a, a very long time. Um, and uh, I joined in 2005 uh, via Liddy. Um, uh, her cousin introduced me, and I had just moved back from um, to Connecticut from Silicon Valley after being out there 20 years. And uh, it was, you know, I credit Liddy for uh, connecting me into the startup ecosystem here in Connecticut because. Uh, um, coming uh, from the West Coast to the East Coast didn't have that network. And so, you know, again, thank you, Liddy. Uh, and I, I think one of the things that you'll hear throughout this whole um, program is that women are always helping women getting uh, connected into uh, into the network and, and especially what's so very well needed is the access to capital. Uh, with AIF, um, we probably uh, have only about 12% of our members are women. We have about uh, 50 members, um, mostly uh, from Connecticut, um, and we have some from Massachusetts and uh, New York as well. We invest in early stage companies, um, not only Connecticut companies, but uh, in um, we like the, the Northeast. Uh, but we do love Connecticut companies to invest in because of the angel investor tax credit uh, that is available here in Connecticut. And we can talk more about that. Both Lydia and I worked on getting that legislation um, in um, back in 2012, 13. And uh, so... Um, we are always looking for uh, women um, accredited investors to join our group. Um, mm -hmm. So if there's any of that, anyone out there that is interested just in attending a meeting and learning about it, we'd love to have you because we, <laughs> um, we invest in um, companies and uh, we like to see more women founders as well uh, because we do invest in um, women founders. Marianne, when you talk about investing, so what's the average size of your investment? We're talking about angel investing. Uh, most angels uh, will invest 
25,000 individually. And, and just so that folks kind of understand this space, angel investing, um, people are investing their own money. They're accredited investors based on the SEC guidelines. And um, through that, they'll invest 25,000. And especially here in Connecticut, because of the angel investor tax credit, the minimum investment is 25,000. And then the angel will get a 25% um, tax credit on their Connecticut taxes in the year they, are, they invest or carry it forward for five years. So uh, that's why Connecticut companies are especially attractive to our angel group um, because it helps to de-risk the investment um, right away by uh, taking advantage of the angel investor tax credit. And for a Connecticut company, um, having uh, being able to offer to investors that tax credit um, really makes them quite attractive, even for company, for investors outside the state, because again, they have access to the tax credit as well. So when we're talking about your investors that are part of Angel Investor Forum, so what kind of businesses are they interested in? We invest in a wide range of businesses from, uh, I think in the early days, it was very much uh, software. Uh, our very first investment, um, and, and Liddy uh, was very involved in this, was uh, uh, Design to Launch, which was a woman-led uh, business, Allison Malloy, who you've heard her name um, before. She uh, works at Connecticut Innovations now and, and is also um, uh, one of the driving forces with Annie Lamont uh, to develop the, um, the the new group Tidal River, which is uh, for um, investing in women-led businesses uh, here in Connecticut. And uh, so that was our very first uh, investment in a, a woman business. And our a recent uh, investment is in a company in Farmington, uh, Torigen, which is in the veterinary oncology space. And Ashley Kalinowskis uh, is the founder of that company, and that's a very promising company. Um, and we, we, so those two are, you know, software, biotech, we invest in medical device, um, a variety. Uh, we do quite a bit of biotech um, companies, which is great because Connecticut is developing a very strong ecosystem in the, um, the biotech. Um, but we also invest in uh, consumer products, uh, which is a kind of a new area. Uh, that we've been investing in. Um, Better Roads in Madison is our uh, recent investment by our Angel Investor Fund 3. Uh, we have a fund as well. Um, so that is one thing to you know share with you is that angel investors invest in a variety of ways. They might invest individually <clears throat> uh, like our members do, plus some angel groups also have a fund. And so we have a fund that our angel investors have the opportunity to buy a unit in. And then as a group, we decide, um, we vote and a uh, majority of the vote uh, allows um, an investment in a company. And investments. Marianne, we just have a, a couple of minutes left, but I have to ask you, given that you're intimately aware of what it's like to work in Silicon Valley, now you're in Connecticut, what can Connecticut do better? <clears throat> um, Connecticut um, has all the same ingredients that uh, Silicon Valley has. Great universities, really smart people, um, passionate, um, <clears throat> and a great way of life here. I, I think what's um, we, we need to put more and have access to more money. And I think with uh, one of the things that's 
if you think about it, if we only have one angel group, um, angel investor forum, and then an, another one that's getting started, which I'm thrilled about is the, the Tidal River, we need more angel investors to invest money in early stage startups. Because without that first money in um, after friends and family, uh, it's, it's hard to really continue to boost up the ecosystem and grow the ecosystem. I mean, Boston and New York have done excellent jobs and we syndicate uh, uh, with them with deals and share it, which means we uh, we all invest alongside each other to help a company raise a couple million dollars. Uh, so we need to get more angel investors in Connecticut uh, so that um, uh, boosting and, and investing in our, our, our own backyard. And how can the state of Connecticut help with that? Or is the, you know, a lot of this on the, these private uh, networks that have been developed, uh, Marianne? Um, you know, it, it may not be um, so, um, people may not be so aware of it, but Connecticut Innovations has been just an outstanding leader in investing in early stage companies uh, and uh, Governor Malloy and now Governor Lamont have been uh, super supportive of making sure that um, that organization is a leader uh, throughout. And, and they have national recognition now as being investors in um, in early stage companies. So Connecticut Innovations is doing a superb job. We just need more individual investors to invest alongside them in Connecticut companies, as well as uh, uh, attracting more venture capital firms from outside of Connecticut to uh, set up their offices here in Connecticut mm -hmm. so that we can continue to uh, fund companies at whatever stage they are at, whether it's uh, early stage or their uh, Series A, Series B, Series C. Uh, we, we really need more eyeballs on Connecticut companies. Mm -hmm. Well, Marianne Rook, thank you for joining us here on Where We Live, President and Managing Director of the Angel Investor Forum. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, today's show produced by Sujata Srinivasan. I'll be back tomorrow.